And we're here on KSQD 90.7 FM, Santa Cruz. I'm your host, Julie Murphy. And tonight we'll be talking with the Hive Poetry Collective Bees, Farnaz Fatimi and Dion O'Reilly. So welcome and welcome, Dion. Welcome, Farnaz. So great to have you here. Thanks for putting this together, Julie. Hi, Julie. Hi, everyone in Radio Land. Our theme this evening is Summer Heat 2020. We are pre-recording this show two weeks before it airs, each in our own shelter-in-place homes. And the days are getting longer and stretching the daytime, stretching into the evening hours, and summer is upon us. And here in Santa Cruz County, businesses are beginning to reopen People are excited about things like haircuts and dining out. And we thought this evening we'd like to get together and share some poems that reflect the season that's upon us and also these strange and interesting times. Uh, I thought we'd start this evening with a poem. This is one of my all-time favorite poems. Uh, It's written by Lee Young Lee. And it's called From Blossoms. From Blossoms comes this brown paper bag of peaches we bought from the joy at the bend in the road where we turn toward signs painted peaches. From laden boughs, from hands, from sweet fellowship in the bins comes nectar at the roadside, succulent peaches we devour, dusty skin and all comes the familiar dust of summer, dust we eat. Oh, to take what we love inside, to carry within us an orchard, to eat not only the skin, but the shade, not only the sugar, but the days, to hold the fruit in our hands, adore it, then bite into the round jubilance of peach. There are days we live as if death were nowhere in the background. From joy to joy to joy, from wing to wing, from blossom to blossom to impossible blossom to sweet, impossible blossom. Thanks, Julie. That was great. That was a great one for reflecting summer. Yeah, I feel like this poem really um, captures so much of summer in it, like the the summer dust, dust we eat, and uh, road trips, and the surprises that we find in the summer, like the signs painted peaches. And I didn't mean to cut you off. No, go ahead. It's it's funny that you say um, surprises because I think for me, some of what the poem is getting at is that we crave the familiarity, the sort of what we expect from the season, um, what we can count on from the season. And yeah. That 
solace of um, the dusky skin and all, the familiar dust of summer, which precedes dust we eat. Um, yeah. I, I just, and it, in some ways that solace is also like a drug. And I think um, it's, it sort of foreshadows the end, which is, you can't keep death away. <laughs> well, the dust, I mean, dust always kind of yes. evokes death. Mm -hmm. The first time I read this, I was really caught up on it. We, we bought from the joy. Yeah. And then there's a line break there that our readers can't see. We bought from the joy. The brown paper bag of peaches, that's really evocative. We bought from the joy at the bend of the road. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So that little fruit stand, which, like, as Farnot said, is a familiar signpost of summer, is yeah. a little piece of joy. But then the second time I read it, this time, um, was the idea that the peach holds all the days of summer. And it evoked for me how each one of the fruits, as they begin to come, become ripe, holds within it that part of summer yeah. until the apple, when you eat the apple, the very end of summer, it yeah. contains the fall yeah. mm -hmm. in it. But yeah, peach is just bursting with kind of the mid, early mid part of summer. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Feel like. Yeah. Yeah. And then to, you know, in the, in the third stanza, to take what we love inside to carry within us an orchard. So not only is the fruit holding the summer, then we're holding the fruit and we're holding the orchard and we're eating the days. We're, we're actually taking that in, in our hands and in our mouths and into our bodies. And the, the joy and the nourishment of that and the abundance of it, because yeah. abundance is reflected in the anaphora. Oh, to take not only this, but that. Not only this, but that. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then, of course, then the final turn in the poem, the last stanza, where we're in the jubilance of peach, and then there are days we live as if death were nowhere in the background. You know, that, yeah. It's, it's just that poet naming the thing again. Um, we can live, we, he, he's saying we live as if death were nowhere in the background, but you name it, it's there. Yeah. <laughs> there, there are days we live as if death were nowhere in the background from joy to joy to joy. And just, by, just even saying it, uh, he understands there's n that's not, it's not possible. It's right. impossible. It's impossible. It's yeah. impossible blossom. Right. Yes. Right. And then and that's the last phrase. Julie, would you just read that whole last stanza for our Yeah. There are days we live as if death were nowhere in the background, from joy to joy to joy, from wing to wing, from blossom to blossom to impossible blossom to sweet impossible blossom. So it ends on to sweet impossible blossom but it, get, it begins on from blossom yes so it, it dies looking backward as jericho brown would say yes 
<laughs> Boy, that's really yeah. crafted. It's really yeah. crafted. Isn't it amazing? Yeah, it's really crafted. And I think like the impossibility, the unlikelihood of any particular blossom, of any particular peach, of any particular life makes it that much sweeter. Mm -hmm. You know, it's that ephemeral quality of it all then. Yeah. Huh. Yeah, I, I just feel like I could keep talking about this poem because I get, the more I look at it, the more I see. Lee Young Lee, wow, you really hit a home run on this one. Yeah. Well, and this poem always will have a um, special place in my heart because um, a friend of mine read it at my wedding. Oh. And did you know it before then or? Well, without going into too much story, being a person who had two weddings, <laughs> the first time, the first wedding, I hadn't heard it before. Mm. So um, <laughs> then we, when we had our formal wedding, uh, I had to include it because I loved it so much. So. At my wedding, I had... Um, a friend of mine sing, why do fools fall in love? <laughs> <laughs> My first wedding. <laughs> That's great. Great. Well, Fernaz, um, I was going to ask you, before we go into our next poem, I was going to ask you if there's anything that surprised you in the last couple of months since we did our last group reading together. Um, it surprised me about anything. Well, about, well, <laughs> about, about anything, but like about poetry in particular and yeah. your, your practice, or your experience. You know, the thing that I've really noticed, um, in the, in my poetry world and that I've been really, really, I think has surprised me is that all, all, almost all the poets I know are writing and, I know that there's I know there's poets that aren't and that are um, muted, paralyzed, um, overwhelmed in, in in you know can't because they're in caregiving situations, cannot find the time. But everybody that I'm working with, I'm in two different poetry groups. They're writing and people are or revising and the the level of attention and work that's getting done on a weekly basis is. Is amazing and it's it's kept me going I'm um, of course it's helped keep me writing but I think it's just um, really noticeable that people people need to keep making poems need to be participating in the making of poetry and and thinking about what poems do in the world right now um, and how they can matter but what we you know what each individual needs from poems is different yeah so there, it's a really, it is, you know, I have one group that's eight people and there's eight different styles and modes of responding to, to, to language that are happening. And it's really quite moving. Yeah, it's very inspiring. Mm -hmm. it's, it's also been, in the world of poetry, amazing that all kinds of poetry readings that would have been happening locally are going online you know through youtube or zoom and we're getting to participate in all kinds of poetry readings that we otherwise wouldn't have with people from all over the world 
Yes, or workshops or right. what, have, what have you. It's a bit overwhelming. Yes. <laughs> that level of what's available. <laughs> have either of you t- taken a, a class or workshop? Not yet, but I, I'm going to this summer. Well, yeah. Julie, you, you and I, we workshop once a week with um, Danusha. Well, that's true. Yeah. And, and I workshop also with Ellen Bass once a week. But those are kind of ongoing, but they have moved to an online format. Yes, it's great that something that was working can move into that format so well. I I dropped in on the Sierra Poetry Festival, um, which was early April, I think. And it was, they had been intending to be, uh, it's Grass Valley and to be live in, you know, several hundred people probably attending. But I, I, I participated on the Saturday of that, festival and over 300 people were stayed on all day to different the different parts of the of the of the festival and workshops and ellen gave a talk and it ran a short workshop that morning and literally 300 people were in that zoom room with with her and it was it was lovely it was there were people from different countries i know that for sure but all across the country who participated who wouldn't have been able to right right well, poetry is a way we deal with what's going on. Yes, it is. Yeah. Yeah. So, well, so, uh, did you want me to answer that question about what's surprising, or you can ask me that later? I'll ask you later. Okay. <laughs> I'm going to have Fernaz read another poem because. Um, sure. I think it's time. Yes, and I brought a poem that I think we, we agree um, follows nicely on the Lee Young Lee poem. In, in a, and well, you can talk about that. Before you read, uh, Fernaz, I just want to let our listeners know if you've just tuned in, you're listening to the Hive Poetry Collective on KSQD 90.7 FM in Santa Cruz. And that was Julie Murphy hosting us, and I'm Fernaz <laughs> Fatimi. And, and we have Deanna Riley as well. Hi there. So this is A Small Needful Fact by Ross Gay. A Small Needful Fact is that Eric Garner worked for some time for the Parks and Rec Horticultural Department, which means perhaps that with his very large hands, perhaps in all likelihood, he put gently into the earth some some plants which most likely, some of them in all likelihood, continue to grow, continue to do what such plants do, like house and feed small and necessary creatures like being pleasant to touch and smell, like converting sunlight into food, like making it easier for us to breathe. Hmm. Wow. Mm. Such an amazing poem. Um, I I wanna say that, that part of what I, the reason I chose the poem is I was thinking about poems that I need during a time like this, and this week, this week when we're recording this, um, George Floyd died six days ago, I think, um, was murdered uh, six days ago. And um, uh, we're thinking about what, how to respond, what each individual wants to do about that fact, um, and w- wants to think about race in America. Um, and I think, there are lots of different responses when, and when reading poems. And 
I, I, you know, I saw, I'm not, I wasn't going to read it, the Lucille Clifton poem about bird in the, in Jasper, Texas. I think it's called Jasper, Texas, much more graphic poem about somebody dying. Um, and I don't, that's not the poem I wanted to go to. I wanted to go to this poem and I was thinking why. And part of it is that it's about foregrounding um, death, but also making Eric Garner human <laughs> and also talking about humanity. Um, yes. So those are just a few things. There's a few reasons. I would love to hear what you guys think about this poem. Well, I love the title, A Small Needful Fact and how it flows into the first line is that Eric Gardner worked for some, you know, and then the poem goes on, but it's really pointing to something really important that we need to pay attention to, which is, you know, I think very much over the last number of months with so many people dying in America, um, both through police violence and through the coronavirus is that it's very important to not just stay with the safety of statistics and the distance yeah. that counting and numbers provides, but to really become intimate yes. with the individuals and the fact of someone's life and this poem just really points really directly to that. Well, it really, it really makes Eric Garner like a plant. Yes. That is necessary in the circle of existence. Yeah. He's needed. He's, yes. He's the small and necessary creature that's yes. towards the end of the poem. Yes. I, I really love in this poem, and it's so in your face, is how he's always saying, maybe, maybe, maybe. Yeah. Um, he just, in all likelihood, he says it twice at least. And then most likely, mm -hmm. perhaps. 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 Yes. And, and the, go ahead, Deanta. <laughs> Uh, no, go ahead, Julie. <laughs> uh, <laughs> no, you go. Um, I, I was also really moved by the unusual syntax in the poem. You know, that the perhaps is interrupting the flow of the thought, perhaps that with his very large hands, perhaps in all likelihood, he put gently into the earth some plants which most likely and then the poem goes on so there's this way that the poem keeps turning back on itself and just that he put gently into the earth some plants putting the subject after the verb after the preposition it, mm. it makes it that much more tender and formal in a way mm. Like a Yoda talk, right? Yeah, right. yeah. It's almost like the sacred speech that's happening there. I, I think that the three of us know that as poets, we're very, very mindful of our adjectives. That we don't want to use a modifier unless we really have to, unless it really works. And if you look at the adjectives in this poem, 
There's very large hands. He put, well, an adverb, he put gently into the earth and feeds small and necessary creatures being pleasant to touch and smell. So what you and get, that's it. Yeah. very, very gentle yes. man. It, this really <laughs> evokes this man. And yet it, it's interesting because he says in the title, it's a, the fact is that he worked for Parks and Rec Horticultural Department. And then nothing else after that is actually a fact. Everything else is what the poet has imagined. And that's why he, I think that's why Dion, as you pointed out, he keeps going back to perhaps in all likelihood and over and over. And he is small, small needful fact. And then there is a small necessary creature or equated, but all of the rest of it is, and it's one long sentence as well. Um, it's, yeah. And I think that the, the poet's imagination there that perhaps, perhaps, it's also standing in metaphorically because whether he actually planted these plants, right. those hands yeah. also nurtured and nourished and gave to the world. Well, the facts are that we know is that where he worked, he worked at Parks and Rec in the horticulture department. We know that. And we know at the end that plants convert sunlight into food, making it easier for us to breathe. Those are the two facts. Right. Yeah. Everything else is the poem's imagination, the poet's imagination. Yeah, thanks for bringing that poem for us. That's really, really, really fantastic. Yeah, thanks for it. So Dion, maybe you could answer up that question now about what has surprised you about poetry, the practice of poetry, uh, since we last met on air. Well, um, you know, we say that a poem, an ending of a poem should be surprising and inevitable. And I have to say that the riots that are going on are surprising and, and inevitable. And I was spending an entire day suffering over the last stanza of a poem, which was about my drama. And um, to take a break, I looked at the news. And I had that moment that I think that many of us poets have where I'm thinking, what can I say? What difference can I make as a poet? And I was struck once again with the difficulty with writing about race as a white woman just as a white person. And um, I think what's surprising to me is I'm getting a little bit of a glimpse of, well, number one, I think in contemporary poetry, we have to write about the context of the life we're living in, which is this violent racial division in our country, um, which is part of, of course, other problems too. And I think I'm just beginning to get a little glimpse of someone like Jericho Brown or some Aya Kavinsky that we're going to read later on. And some of these people, people of color, because they are not part of the, the power structure, how they are able to write about it in ways that are really gripping. And it's making me see that my entitlement is the air that I breathe and the wave that has pushed me to where I am in my life today. And so I think what's surprising to me is this feeling of understanding 
that these riots are giving me about my place in the world and how I need to write about it. Mm. How difficult it is, how yeah. needful, how needful and how difficult as mm. a white person that it really is. Yeah. Well, and I think those are, those are the particulars of this moment. But I think in general, writing to the truth, writing to the, the deepest, quietest, most hidden insight is hard. Yeah, it's especially hard when it's the air you breathe. Yeah. Yeah, it's like having to con constantly pull the veil. When being white has been the default in this country for so long, and you're part of the default. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, it's, it's needful. It's needful. So I guess what I, the surprising feeling that I have is that pressure yeah. in my mind to respond. Right. To respond in writing, to respond yeah, in yeah, to poetry. respond in writing, and you know we say that often poets are witness. Mm -hmm. It's hard to be witness to your your own default. Uh -huh. your, yeah, you know, the air you breathe, the wave that has pushed you. You know, of course, yeah. these are metaphors I'm using because I'm a poet, but I'm beginning to like these metaphors are beginning to build up in my mind. <laughs> yeah, great. And uh, do you have a poem that you've brought that you'd like to read? Uh, yeah, it's called Crabs. It's by Faith Sheeran. Shall I go ahead and read it? Please do. Okay. Crabs. My parents moved to a cottage by the sea, and my grandmother arrived with her 20 suitcases and hand lotions, and we spent a week together sunning ourselves. We wore matching bathing suits and sunburns, and we built castles too close to the tide, empires with tiny lives. Then she decided we should cook crabs. We stepped into the seafood shop, a cold box of odor, and looked at the creatures pulled from the salt of their dreams. They were frozen, washed ashore on a beach of ice and death was a place you could see in their eyes. There were eels that reminded me of depths and currents and oysters as soft as tongues in the bumpy mouths of their shells. We bought a box of crabs and these were fiercely alive. Their eyes drops of color, their claws opening and closing on misfortune. We prepared to steam them and I hid my face in a pillow while my grandmother dropped each one into a shallow pan. We were sitting together on the sofa when we saw them erupt like lava overflow onto the counter and floor. They moved sideways in their bright armor and they were everywhere and we were afraid. We hopped on the furniture, the floor dangerous, and we did not eat them even when my father came home and collected them easily and returned them to the unhappiness of their box. We took those crabs back to the shore where they went on following the tides and rearranging the sand, holding their claws high like torches. Wow, what a great poem. 
really nice reading of it also. Thank you. Well, the reason I chose it, I mean, I, I think it might be obvious to some people is it's kind of metaphor for writing and for building castles too close to the tide, empires with tiny lives, and the precariousness of the position of these people who moved to a cottage by the sea. <laughs> Which is, I mean, and that whole idea of, and holding their claws high like torches yeah. at the end. Well, I mean, that's what I, I mean, I think it's really beautifully written, but I think that it's a metaphor for getting in too deep. Mm -hmm. uh, almost a little bit like a Pandora's box. Yeah. Kind of opening things up and then having to, um, the surprise of what you actually have to deal with once you, once you do that. And in the bookshop shop where they get it is the fishmonger. Many of the creatures there are, they're weak and they're soft and they're dead, but the crabs are fiercely alive. Yeah. And the, the family seems to have understood what you're seeing, like the, the, what they did um, at some level by bringing them back to the shore and not the store. Um, yes. They, they somehow have followed that, that out. Like this is, this is the, this is the, logical conclusion here they're going back and they're going to hold those torches high yeah um, and they're the crabs are following the tides and rearranging the sand <laughs> right and you can see that you can see yeah. the way that the crabs move along the sand in the the disturbance in the sand KSQD Santa Cruz 90.7 FM. You're listening to the Hive Poetry Collective. I'm your host, Julie Murphy, and you can find the Hive Poetry Collective on our Facebook page, the Hive Poetry Collective on KSQD. You can visit us on our website, hivepoetry.org. Follow us on Twitter, at Hive Poetry, and you can download podcasts of all of our shows on Spotify, iTunes, or wherever you get your podcasts, and please subscribe. Thanks for listening. Tonight we're here with Fernaz Fadami and Dion O'Reilly, and our theme this evening is Summer Heat. And We've been talking about the poem Crabs that Dion just read that was written by Faith Sheeran. And Dion, it looks like you had something else you wanted to say about the poem. I mean, when you think about the riots going on right now. And then you think about this description here, they moved sideways in their bright armor and they were everywhere and we were afraid. You and want to say more about that, Dion? Say more, more about that? Yeah, I mean. Well, there are riots all over the country right now and it's terrifying. Mm -hmm. And there's people in armor um, and it's an eruption like lava. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the grandmother is kind of just a, seems like sort of a, a clueless person. Um, but they all kind of woke up. The grandmother has arrived with her 20 suitcases. That's really hyperbolic. 
but we see we see exactly who she is and hand lotions. <laughs> and there, there's so many surprising lines in this poem. Right, the uh, we stepped into the seafood shop, a cold box of odor and looked at the creatures pulled from the salt of their dreams. Oh, God. It just opens the poem up so wide right there. I mean, I don't want to, I don't don't want to be one of those people that just rings a poem out. But, you know, for me, that evokes slavery. It evokes um, the destruction, genocide, destruction of people's lives. Mm -hmm. And they're, and there are a lot of people that do compare what we do animals with what we, what we do to people. Mm-hmm. I mean, we do put people in cages. Mm-hmm. I kind of feel like one of my students when I used to teach her, they would say, was she doing that on purpose? <laughs> <laughs> well, and I think what, you know, the, um, what you're reading there, Dion, makes the end even that much more poignant. That the speaker, the we in the poem, um, returned them, you know, mm-hmm. gave them back their freedom. Yeah, it's, an, it's a pretty ending. Yeah. He yeah. ties it up nicely with a bow at the end. Yeah. So it's satisfying in that way. Mm-hmm. But, but those, those crabs, I kept thinking, those crabs were dropped in boiling water. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes, yeah. they were steamed. Steamed. Oh, steamed. Yeah. Maybe, maybe that's why they were able to get out. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> the, um, the beauty of the poem really is that it functions uh, as a literally, it, you don't need to read what you've read into it. Um, really strong. I, I mean, it's a really, it's a really, strong description of this family's escapades (laughs) but there's always so much more and you can't you can't not think about yourself when you read empires with tiny lives i mean just your own self like one's own is that me at the beginning looking for we're too close to the tide empires with tiny lives you know there's just so there's always more happening but on the surface it's so strong anyway Yeah. yeah I mean, it's just a very simple narrative poem, really. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's an example of how things can be simple but still have a lot of complexity. Yeah, yeah, it's really. She, uh, she's a Southern writer. Um, she has about five books. Um, Faith Sheeran, um, and I think one of her most favorite, famous poems is called "Blue Elvis." when she talks about her family's reaction to Elvis's death. Oh. So she's fun. She's well, Yeah. That's great. Well, I thought I would uh, switch up the tone a little bit and um, read a poem by Charles Wright, who is also a Pulitzer-winning poet and uh, one of our elder po- poets. I think he was born in 35. And this poem is called, After Reading Tufu, I Go Outside to the Dwarf Orchard. East of me, west of me, full summer. How deeper than elsewhere the dusk is in your own yard. 
Birds fly back and forth across the lawn, looking for home as night drifts up like a little boat. Day after day, I become of less use to myself. Like this mockingbird, I flit from one thing to the next. What do I have to look forward to at 54? Tomorrow is dark. Day after tomorrow is darker still. The sky dogs are whimpering. Fireflies are dragging the hush of evening up from the damp grass into the world's tumult, into the chaos of every day. Go quietly, quietly. Oh, thank you. That is so beautiful. I really love this poem. And, um, you know, I, I like reading the ancient Chinese poets quite a lot. And I like how that their poetry echo in this poem the little boat, nature, kind of being right in the elements as the speaker of this poem is. And I relate to the contents of the poem in terms of my own daily life of flitting from one thing to the next thing, kind of rattling around in the house here. Except for 54 is beginning to sound pretty young. Yeah, I know. Okay, that's true. That's true. But... <laughs> I, you know, the title is very much like a poem from the Tang Dynasty. After reading Tu Fu, I go outside to the dwarf orchard. They, they often have those long yes. titles. And, and also that line, what do I have to look forward to at 54? And it's such a great turn and it's so honest. Yeah. Um, as, but it's very much like the stuff that Tufu wrote. Yes, kind of having a poem, having a question turn the poem um, in the, in, towards the middle. And I also felt like the lines, tomorrow is dark, day after tomorrow is darker still, really relates to our times right now. Yes, and, and it's not just dark in the in the... Um, negative sense, but dark in the un unknown sense. Yes, um, it's both. I think when he when he uses it that way. Absolutely. The after is further away, so it's less knowable. And how deeper than elsewhere the dusk is in your own yard. Mm. That I mean, how how why is that true? I, it's so abstract, and you know, it's such a sure statement about something that is untrue in a way and yet so true <laughs> but it's how we experience things right yeah uh, and i just love the the lyric of the fireflies are dragging the hush of evening up from the damp grass mm. boy there's a line to be yeah. jealous of yes 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 <laughs> fire Sorry, I just wanted to read it again. Please <laughs> do. whole last stanza, Dion. Once the sky again. dogs are whimpering. Fireflies are dragging the hush of evening up from the damp grass into the world's tumult, into the chaos of every day. Go quietly, quietly. 
the sky dogs are whimpering. Oh yes. Yeah. Two lines to start that last stanza. Yeah. It's stanza to be jealous of, actually. Yes. <laughs> you know, the sky dogs are whimpering. Yeah. Yeah. No doubt about it. Yep. Yeah. And into the world's tumult, into the chaos of every day. And I, do you think? Do you read that as an as an imperative to himself? Go quietly, quietly. What? How do you? I couldn't. I couldn't figure out exactly how to read that, but that was the one way I could do it. Well, it is an imperative. I think himself and everyone. Yeah. Yeah. And again, it's that in an interesting s- syntax. Yes. Because it the way that it follows the sentence before ending with up from the damp grass and it begins into the world's tumult. We almost see the fireflies going into the chaos. Mm-hmm. Um, but actually the syntax of that statement is the imperative. Go quietly, go quiet, go quietly, quietly. He, he starts each line with a capital letter, even though it's not the beginning of a sentence. And I just know from my own writing, that's really hard to pull off. Hmm. Yeah, it's a hard thing for our listeners to see, but it's, yes. yeah, it's 12 lines total, four, four lines in each stanza. Oh, I guess that's not true. I take it back. <laughs> no one would have noticed. <laughs> Sorry for confusing things further. You know, another killer line in this is day after day, I become of less use to myself. Yeah. Which is the first line of the second stanza for our listeners. And I'll tell you in these days of changing technology, that sure is even more true than ever. (laughs) (laughs) You become of less use to yourself, but other things become of more use? To other people. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks for that poem, Julie. Oh, yeah, you're welcome. Listeners, if you're just tuning in, this is the Hive Poetry Collective on KSQD 90.7 FM on your dial here in Santa Cruz. I'm your host, Julie Murphy, and today we're talking with Dion O'Reilly and Farnaz Fatami. Thank you. It's great to be here. Um, I think we have time for maybe two more poems. Yeah, I think we do. So I brought another one. Great. Um, this is a poem from a contemporary of ours and a local poet who's um, part of the Hive Poetry Collective, Lisa Allen Ortiz. And this is a, a very current poem, unpublished, called How Batteries Work. Um, How Batteries Work. Bewildering the silent chemistry inside electrons, ions, destabilized lithium. Yesterday in our house, we got bad news. My daughter wailed and pummeled the belly of a pillow. The rest of us stood around the couch while the yellow tassels flinched. After that, we ate a silent lunch. Napkins folded, steaming bowl of vegetables and rice. Electrons dripped across the table, cathode to anode. There's a Sufi saying that a life is made of 10,000 joys and 10,000 sorrows. 
tenderness and what's left after tenderness is gone. Across the terminus of our bodies, we feel it, an attempt to even out. After lunch, we felt sad and sorry and mended what we could by sending texts, blue hearts and tiny chicks in broken eggs. We slept. I thought or dreamed of wires running up the dark insides of walls. By morning, the fog was charged thick against the window panes and someone woke up early, sliced fruit and lined bowls along the countertop, one set out for each of us. Beautiful. Isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, just. And, and such an interesting title just to begin with, How Batteries mm -hmm. Work. But she really does carry that metaphor down, down the poem. Um, yeah. The, the fog is charged. Yes. Thick. Which, which would be a great verb to use, even if she wasn't extending her analogy. Exactly. Yeah. But yes, from the beginning, that, that electric current or the battery itself is alive. There's an inanimate object that's become a stand-in for us or right. a way but that, that ourselves. Yeah, that destabilized lithium. Mm -hmm. And yes, uh, about the balance of uh, on like in life, like on the two sides of the battery of mm -hmm. positive and negative. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and there's such strong verbs: pummeled, flinched, folded, dripped. You, you know, the action is um, very strong. And all those ver verbs, I think, all of the ones you even chose are are verbs used for things that are usually inanimate uh, and not all of them but most of them it's the way that the inanimate comes alive is yes. part of just everything inside this household pulsing with life even in this silent lunch <laughs> yes well i think too many many of us often want to talk about the difficulties in our life without being explicit about what they are mm -hmm. And so obviously some great misfortune has fallen and yet we don't know what it is. Mm -hmm. It's kind of like that Ellen Bass poem, relax, bad things will happen. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it just shows that there are ways to talk about whatever's going on without, and having the whole thing be a metaphor and never saying what it is. Mm -hmm. It's right because the poem has a certain narration, but it's not the backstory. It's the response to whatever that, situation is right and right. what we're given um is this you know the stark emotion of it and we 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 don't need to know the backstory because it becomes also very very easy as the reader to become part of that scene to access the times mm -hmm you know, where that, that news, whatever, came to our household. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the scene where they're standing around the couch. Yesterday in our house, we got bad news. My daughter wailed and pummeled the belly of a pillow. The rest of us stood around the couch while the yellow tassels flinched. I mean, that's, that's very vivid. I think all of us could imagine seeing a young girl 
in crying like that and mm-hmm. just standing there kind of helpless watching watching it and i love pummeled the belly of the pillow yeah it makes the yeah. pillow alive yep <laughs> yeah and, and you can feel it too you can feel yourself being pummeled it's bam 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 pummeled the belly of the pillow mm-hmm. what i love most of i mean one i think one of the things i love most about lisa's work is the way this poem exemplifies it. There's a narrative, like Julie said, but it's also, it's a narrative that's about emotion in some way and the response to this thing that happened, but it's also very lyric. So it's just, it's such a, an interesting combination. You, yeah. you stay, you, you were propelled forward by the narrative, but there's all these moments inside of that that are so strong and, and visceral. I even love, um, Men did what men did what we could by sending texts, blue hearts and tiny chicks and broken eggs. That's so Lisa. It is. I can hear her voice. <laughs> <laughs> but it's good to you know bring in these contemporary, um, iconic, yeah, things. Yeah. yeah, I love the line tenderness and what's left after tenderness is gone. I think that. Um, that's the closest glimpse of what is the precipitating event is that somehow tenderness has been violated or eliminated. But mm-hmm. I love how the next line across the terminus of our bodies, we feel it an attempt to even out. And the word terminus mm-hmm. is so nicely resonated with the word tenderness. Yeah. 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 And I, I also really like the leap that um, begins the fourth stanza of the poem. There's a Sufi saying that a life is made up of 10,000 joys. This comes right before the tenderness. Mm-hmm. Because then we go from the table with the steaming bowls of vegetables and rice, electrons dripped across the table, cathode to anode. So we go from the intimacy of the table to the hugeness through, you know, through time and space to the Sufi saying and to all of humanity that this, this is this family's drama, but it's happening everywhere. It's everywhere. It's, it's human experience. The poem really opens up and it opens up into the spiritual realm at that moment. Yeah. It's pure energy. Just like battery. It's a pure energy of joy and sorrow. Yeah. 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 There's a lot that's not said in this poem. There's a lot of quiet in this poem. And there's just like feeling like the vibration. In yeah. 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 That's great. All right. Shall we, shall we shift? And um, Dion, do you want to read the Ilya Kaminsky poem that you brought? I think okay. we have just enough time to do that. Okay. Yeah. I just thought I should read this one because it's kind of a happening his book, Deaf Republic, is kind of a happening book right now. We lived happily during the war. And when they bombed other people's houses, we protested, but not enough. We opposed them, but not enough. I was in my bed. Around my bed, America was falling. Invisible house by invisible house by invisible house. I took a chair outside and watched the sun. In the sixth month, 
of a disastrous reign in the house of money, in the street of money, in the city of money, in the country of money, our great country of money, we, forgive us, lived happily during the war. This is such an amazing poem. Yeah, Ilya Kaminsky, he's Ukrainian, Russian, Jewish, American writer, born in Russia, and uh, he's been here for about 20 years or longer. No, he's been here longer than that. And he has two books and a lot of translation, and Deaf Republic was a big hit, notable book of 2019. Yeah. And this is from that book. Yeah, I think it's yeah. the first first poem in the book. Yeah, is it? Is it? Does it precede this, the book itself? I, is it the preface poem? Yes, I think so. I think so. Yeah, because I don't think anywhere else does he talk about America, if I'm remembering right. But, no, uh, the whole thing is sort of like an imaginary Ukrainian village or something. Yes. Yeah. Yes. This, this poem, he says he speaks of America, which and it just makes that whole book so. Yeah. Yeah. I love the repetition. Invisible house by invisible house by invisible house in the street of money, in the city of money, in the country of money, our great country of money. Yeah, it really builds the energy and uh, the rhythm. It really propels the poem. It's like bombing. Yeah. Well, I guess I brought some real like... (laughs) I brought the heavy poems. Well, you know, we, we need all of the poems. Mm-hmm. I, I find out, listeners, you can't see this, but in the, um, the last uh, two lines of the poem, after our great country of money, we forgive us, lived happily during the war. Forgive us is in parentheses. And I think that's just such an interesting... It's the only thing in parenthesis in the poem. And he's kind of interrupting his statement, we lived happily during the war. Mm-hmm. But it, it seems like such a, a potent message. Mm-hmm. Like even though it's parenthetical, it actually makes it stand out more. Like almost underlined. Uh, for me, it gives me sort of a... a it's like, he couldn't help us. We couldn't help it. We didn't want to, but we did. Forgive us. Yeah. But it, it's, it's also just this small, such a small gesture. Like, it feels like not enough. Yeah. yeah. At all. And it's, uh, it almost knows it, but it's still going to do it. It's going to do it anyway. It's going to say, I'm mm-hmm. parentheses here. And it's all I have. And it's not quite it's not quite right (laughs) talk about acknowledging your own complicity yeah but it's it's everybody everybody. we yeah we i was in my bed you know just the the speaker is in the lap of luxury Mm -hmm. everything is falling well, yeah, and, he, and he, he takes a chair outside and watches the sun. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's the, very and the, the repetition earlier of the po- in the poem of 
not enough. We protested, but not enough. We opposed them, but not enough. Mm -hmm. Yeah, he uses a lot of repetition and it works really well. Yeah. Just a yes. very short little poem. It's just like a, 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 it's like being smacked in the gut. Just real yeah. quick. Yeah. It totally, totally. Well, there's a lot more that we could say about these in all of the poems, but we're about out of time here. So I want to thank you both so much for joining us uh, this evening. And we'll have to do it again. That's right. We, we should. Thank you yes. very much for doing this. Do you have you have some final announcements, right? I, think I have some final announcements. I'll bring them on. Okay, great. Um, but thanks so much, guys. Thank you. Thank you. It's a pleasure. Yeah. Before we sign out, listeners, we want to let you know about some upcoming online events. Uh, there are two Zoom forwards coming up on June. 19th at 5 p.m. We have poet laureates Danusha Lamaris passing on to David Sullivan. And there's another Zoom forward June 26th at 5 p.m. with Farnaz Fadami and Lisa Ortiz and Ingrid Browning. And they will do, be doing a poetry reading. And you can find those on the Frenzy webpage or on hivepoetry.org. And you can find us on Facebook, the Hive Poetry Collective on KSQD, and at our website, hivepoetry.org, and follow us on Twitter, Hive Poetry, and please find our podcasts on Spotify, iTunes, or anywhere you get your podcast. Thanks for listening. This is KSQD Santa Cruz 90.7 FM. I'm your host, Julie Murphy, on the Hive Poetry Collective. Good night. Be for the honey bee, be for the, yeah. be for the honey bee.